Good morning, friends. Our text today is from the Gospel of John, and I'd like to share with you John 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters the gate by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I love the YMCA. And I spend a lot of time there each week exercising. And the Y that I like to go to lets you enter by a turnstile. And to the right of the turnstile is a gate. It's a larger gate that the management uses from time to time for those folks who aren't able to navigate the turnstile. But sometimes this turnstile gets problematic and it breaks. It doesn't turn right. The bars get stuck, sort of sometimes if you're on your way in, and that's very awkward. You got your gym bag and your water and your keys and everything else, and you get stuck in the turnstile. And so at that point, the management makes the gate the default entry. Now all you have to do at that point is just show your membership and uh, avoid the, the turnstile and head through the gate. But on these days, when the gate is the primary point of entry, you'd be surprised at how many people still head for the turnstile, myself included. And I have to wonder, is it because we're simply conditioned to, to head for that same way that we've always known? I think it might be. I think we like the familiar. I think we want to take that path that we know, follow that way that we're used to, maybe because we're stubborn, right? Well, maybe we're like sheep. Because sheep can be kind of stubborn. Steeper, sheep are pretty single-minded creatures, I think. They want to go into the fold. They want to be cared for. They want to be safe. They want the simple life. I doubt they even have a clue as to what goes on behind the scenes to make this simple life possible for them. But they do know that entering the fold by way of the gate leads to the good life. Entering the fold by the way of their shepherd. Now in the case of the YMCA, well, we can pretty much rest assured that either way we go in, whether it's the gate or whether it's the turnstile, we're gonna wind up in the same place. 
but that's not always the case in life. In life, the gate makes all the difference. Jesus has always tried to make this clear to us. Jesus has always urged us to follow his way, only his way, in order to have the abundant life that he promises. And in our text today, he's sounding a warning about entering the sheepfold, and he's having this conversation with the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees have cast out this man who claims to have been healed of his blindness by Jesus, blind from birth, and he says Jesus healed, healed him. Remember with me now that this same man is that man uh, Jesus healed by spitting on mud and applying it to his eyes and then told the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. That's that same man. Well, the Pharisees got wind of this and they got their backs up, not only because of the mysterious healing, of course, but because it took place on a Sabbath, breaking their rules. As they investigate this healing, though, they realize that this is a great opportunity to question Jesus' authority and his identity. They say to this man who was healed, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, meaning Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. You know, they believe, the Pharisees do, in God. They believe in divine law, but they do not believe in Jesus and so they grill this poor man to pieces, and his parents too. And at one point, to their dismay, they even invite the Pharisees into the life of faith to follow Jesus. And they say to him, the Pharisees say, how dare you lecture us? And then they cast him out. This man whose vision is fully restored, not even realizing that they, the Pharisees, are the blind ones. They're spiritually blind. When we're spiritually blind, we lose sight of everything. We can fall into a lot of traps, including following the wrong people, winding up in the wrong places. When we're spiritually blind, we often tend just to follow ourselves instead of letting God go before us. We make our own decisions as to who we follow. We don't always make the right choices. And I think about the power of persuasion here. If we're spiritually blind, we're really vulnerable, aren't we? We're susceptible to listening to those wrong people because we're unmoored, we're untethered. And that keeps us from recognizing people who don't have our best interests at heart, those false shepherds. Now, Jesus refers to false shepherds as thieves and bandits. He's talking about the Pharisees, whom he accuses of sneaking into the sheepfold by a way other than the true gate. He's talking about all the religious leaders, for that matter, who don't practice what they preach. He's talking about hypocrites. Now, sheep don't know much about hypocrites, but I'll, I'll say one thing. Despite the bad rap they get, sheep are not as senseless as you might think. Let me share a story with you. Studies out of the University of Cambridge show that sheep can actually recognize their owners' faces. See, these researchers put several sheep in a pen, and they presented them with pictures. On, on one side, one screen, they had pictures of objects like a hat or, or a vase or flowers. On the other side, they had a picture of a celebrity. 
And each time when the sheep were asked to choose, they chose the picture of the actor. Once these researchers had made this discovery, they said, well, let's go a little bit further. Let's swap these pictures of actors with pictures of the sheep's owners. They did that, and still the sheep chose the pictures of their shepherds. It was amazing. They only responded to the faces that they knew and they recognized. They paid no attention to Matthew McConaughey or Emma Watson. That didn't matter. They only recognized their shepherds. Now, I saw something like this myself when I was growing up. My friend Lynette's family farm bordered our land, and they had all sorts of livestock, including sheep. I remember the first time I went over to see her sheep, it was probably six or seven, and I hopped right in that pen and I stuck my hand out to pet this little fuzzy guy and that thing snapped at me. Sheep have big teeth too, let me tell you if you don't know. And that sheep gave me the side eye, he looked at me like, I dare you to do that again, Missy, see what happens. But then, then Lynette stepped into that pen. Everything changed. Those sheep just surrounded her. No snapping, no side-eye. They loved her because they knew her, you see. Lynette and her father had just given these sheep the best life. They took them out into the field and they fed them and they watered them. They made sure that these sheep were safe. And that is such a big part of the shepherd's life, guiding, loving, leading and protecting. Protecting is so important. Now, historically, a shepherd will lay down his life for his flock, literally, because the shepherd provides a barrier between the sheep sleeping in the pen and the world. Those who enter the fold through another way, they're not going to do this. Now, Jesus is speaking metaphorically, of course, when he says that he is the gate. But it, I think it's an image that would ring true with a lot of people who heard him say this. You see, back to that sheepfold and its structure. Well, a sheepfold generally has some sort of boundary around it. Maybe it's uh, stones, might be a low wall. And the shepherd will literally lie across that entryway at night to be the first line of defense for the flock. Remember, remember the religious hypocrites, they're not going to do that. They're not going to lay down their lives for anyone. Jesus says in our text today, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. And Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I see in my mind a gate of grace that never swings shut, it never locks, and it's open to everyone. You know, it, it's more of a gate that swings wide open for all who will receive God's grace. But it also leads back out, which is not to say that we enter in and receive God's grace and then head back out forgetting everything we know. That's dangerous. I believe instead that Within the fold, we experience God's grace through Christ, our faithful, our loving shepherd. And then we're protected, we're girded up. We go back out through that same gate and share that same grace with the world. 
Because generally speaking, the world doesn't know God's grace. The way of the world is so far removed from the way of the shepherd and the way of the flock. But without the shepherd's love and protection, we're so vulnerable. We are so easily tempted to fall from the flock. And this is tragic because Jesus always wants to find us when we fall and he always wants to bring us back. Now, the Casal de Marmo is located on the northwest outskirts of Rome. And this is a detention center that holds at any time about 50 young people from different countries. And they all have diverse backgrounds and beliefs. They're male and female. But one thing they have in common, they're all criminals under the age of 30. In fact, they range in age from 14 to 25. The Casal de Marmo is not a very glamorous place. In fact, it falls far beneath the, the legal standards for uh, structural integrity and cleanliness. Of course, it's, it's a jail. It's a house of detention. It's not a country club, but the atmosphere doesn't do much at all to provide any sort of incentive or inclination to repent or to change or to lead a new life. But Pope Francis sees it differently. Each year he makes a visit, a pil pilgrimage to the prison to bring the light of Christ to those folks who aren't otherwise going to see it. Pope Francis, Pope Francis, though, he sees the potential in these young people despite their crimes. He extends the hand of mercy and he invites them to the concept of grace. And I love how simply he puts this concept of grace. He says we all slip up, we all make mistakes, we all deserve a second chance. He's willing to see beyond what these inmates have done and he helps them dream instead about what they can do with God's help and with God's grace. Now he makes this pilgrimage each year on Monday, Thursday, and that's by no accident because he's there to wash the feet of each inmate. And then he lovingly dries and kisses those feet and gives the inmate a blessing. And he does all this not so he'll get good press, so he'll be revered and, and, and talked about, but so the receiver, the recipient can understand that truly, Someone cares. Truly, there's a life where someone considers them worthy, worthy of grace and worthy of change. Now, as the Pope has gotten older and more feeble, some of those closest to him have suggested that he forego this trip each year. They say it's hard on your body to bend down. It's hard for you to stretch like that. But Pope Francis says, no, no. Instead, he had them build a little platform on which the inmates can rest their feet so he doesn't have to stoop so much. He's not going to let his limitations stand in the way to inviting people to Christ. He's willing to endure whatever he needs to in order to make that invitation to repentance and to the abundant life that Christ promises. Easter is filled with so much abundance, isn't it? We remember the gracious saving acts of Jesus Christ and following that, the formation of the new church. We meet new shepherds in the book of Acts and their message that comes directly from Christ's example. 
It's so exciting to think about Peter's preaching to all those people drawn together, and even more exciting to think about thousands of people baptized in one day. This flock, this new flock, entered into the abundant life, and their, their mission became reality to extend God's grace, the abundant life, to everyone. Abundant life means not just living like we know about Jesus, but like we honestly know Jesus. The abundant life takes us into new territory, and we learn to recognize the grace we're given, to extend grace to other people, and through this we are all made new. We can't enter into the fold and not be changed. This change that we undergo, once we enter, is one that lets us claim Christ's abundant life. This change is fueled by faith and hope and trust. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is our shepherd, and Jesus is our great gate. Not a broken turnstile made by human hands that needs fixing from time to time, but a steady, reliable, gracious gate that beckons both the citizen and the stranger. So friends, the invitation is yours. Enter the gate and receive the embrace of the shepherd. Amen.